Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, your people call out for understanding. Bring to our yearning hearts and minds the truth of your word. Amen. So we are studying the Gospel of Mark through the first part of this year, and we pick up our story today where we left off last week. Last week, Jesus had healed a man with unclean spirits who had been chained in the cemetery among the tombs. And the people of the town, when they came out and saw the man clothed and in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus, well, they were afraid. And they asked Jesus to leave. So Jesus does. He gets into the boat and he goes back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And that side, remember, is Jewish territory. And he has a very different reception when he lands. This is Mark 5, 21 through 23. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him and he was by the lake. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. So as we read through this first half of the Gospel of Mark, we are talking about the risk presented in the readings. Most of the risk have been on Jesus' part, but today we see two people taking a risk by coming to Jesus. Mark is actually giving us two stories of healing in this passage, one in the middle of the other. So I just want to think a minute about risk. I, I, I used to not think that I was a very risk-taking person, but then I got to thinking and I said, well, I do take some risk. Like leaving Texas to come to California was a risk. What does it say about us when we say we are ready to take a risk? Well, for some, it says that they are foolish, like the man in this picture. I certainly hope that the Fix-It team did not use ladders like that yesterday. That, by the way, is from a piece called, Why Women Live Longer Than Men. <laughs> Most of the time, though, taking a risk means putting your trust in someone or something unexpected, like risking moving to a new job or city because you trust that there will be opportunity there, risking falling in love again because you trust the other person respects and loves you, risking a medical procedure because you trust the doctor and her skill. Both of the people who come to Jesus in today's passage put their trust in him and in his power to help them. Jairus is an important man in this community. He is a leader in the synagogue. Now, he's probably not the rabbi, but he, he's the lay leader or the president of the council. How many of you have ever seen the series The Vicar of Dibley? A few of you. Funny series. If you have not watched it, go out and watch The Vicar of Dibley. Well, if you know this, then he is David Horton who is the most powerful town in the ma town, man in the town and the church. He's the one who lives in the biggest house. In other words, Jairus is a big deal. He's probably used to being able to solve any problem that comes his way. In fact, people come to him with their problems, seeking his help 
and advice. But now he has a problem he can't solve. His 12-year-old daughter is very sick to the point of death. And this important man humbles himself, throwing himself down at Jesus' feet and begging him. This is a very public act. Mark tells us that a great crowd had gathered around Jesus as soon as he got out of the boat. Everybody gets to see this man's begging another for help. But what would you do? What would you risk to find help for your dying child? You know, it's easy to say everything or anything. But it isn't always that easy to set aside our pride, admit that we aren't able to handle this, and ask for help. Jairus is willing to humble himself on his knees before this beloved, this Nazarene teacher who he has heard can heal his beloved daughter. But then comes an interruption. Mark 5, 24 through 34. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So this nameless woman is often referred to as the woman with the issue of blood. Now, according to the law, a menstruating woman is unclean, and anyone who touches her or anything she touches is also unclean. A.J. Jacobs wrote a book called The Year of Living Biblically, in which he chronicled his efforts at following all the dictates given in the law in the Hebrew Scriptures. And apparently, he became quite annoying in the course of that year because he came home one night to find his wife smugly smiling and telling him that she had her period and had sat on every surface in their apartment. (laughs) Most people assume that this issue of blood that this woman has is related to a woman's cycle. Maybe she had endometriosis. It's safe to assume that she has lived a life of shame and isolation for the last 12 years. Notice that she's not morally unclean. She's not a sinner, as the Pharisees might label someone. But she is ritually unclean and is ostracized as a result. And she has bankrupted herself in the search for a cure. Nothing has helped. Coming to Jesus is her last hope. That's the risk she takes. She risks hoping that someone, this someone, 
might be able to help her. But she doesn't risk asking him like Jairus did. That's just too much. She can't risk dashing whatever slim hope she has if Jesus also says, well, I'm not touching you, babe. You're unclean. So she comes up behind him stealthily and just reaches out to touch his clothes. And it works. Immediately, Mark says, immediately she feels the bleeding stop. Strength returns to her anemic body. She is whole again. But Jesus knows something has happened, and he stops. He stops. Now, Jairus, who has been rushing along with Jesus, hurrying him to his home, must be confused. Why is the man stopped? What's going on? And Jesus turns around to search for the one who has touched him, and the disciples all scoff because this is a big crowd. Everybody is jostling. Anybody could have touched him. Surely there is one person touching him right now. Jairus is tugging on his arm. Come on, we've got to get a move on. And this woman, she's trying to make a hole and pull herself in and hide so nobody can see her. But finally, finally, I don't know after how much time, a couple minutes, five minutes, ten, finally she comes forward trembling with fear. What is she afraid of? That Jesus will be angry with her? That, that he might say, just because you did this, I'm going to curse you even worse? Or, or that the crowd will, will see her and know that she's un, unclean and, and hurt her. Mark doesn't tell us. She's just afraid. And what she receives from Jesus is compassion and further healing. Because all around now know she has been healed. And that she has put her faith in Jesus. He blesses her, telling her to go in peace. But this interruption has come at a high price. Mark 5, 35 to 37. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So, so I, I just can see that Jairus must be furious. This unclean woman has cost him his daughter's life. This Nazarene preacher has put this no one, this pariah, ahead of him, the most important man in the synagogue after the rabbi, before his need. But Jesus hasn't given up. He says, don't be afraid. Only believe. And the word for believe here is more than just the intellectual exercise of belief. It is an action. It's about saying, trust me. Have faith in me. Like the woman who was just healed. Jesus is asking Jairus to take one more risk. Mark 5, 38-43. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. 
When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakon, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So Jairus' terrible, horrible, very bad day just got a lot better. It turns, he, it turns out that he, his risk paid off. He put his trust in the right person. You know, both the woman and Jairus' daughter were untouchable according to the law. The woman because of her bleeding, the girl because she was dead and touching a corpse also made you unclean. And in each case, healing involved touch. Now, we know that Jesus can heal without touching. We just saw it with the man in, among the tombs. Jesus, from a distance, commanded the spirits to leave him. But touch was important for both of these women. You know, being sick can be an isolating time when people are afraid to touch you. I think about the people in China right now and this coronavirus outbreak. Everyone is wearing a mask, which is probably actually not very effective because this is a very small virus and it can penetrate the fibers of the mask. But everybody is also afraid to come into contact with the people next to them. They don't want anybody touching them, jostling them, and, uh, or, or, or bumping into them. They might be infectious. And if you are sick, even with something else, I imagine no one wants to come near you. They're going to put you in an isolated hospital that they're building just for these patients. What a gift a simple touch can be. A preacher tells the story of a family in his congregation whose 20-something-year-old son had unexpectedly died. They were walking down the street not long after, and up ahead of them, they saw another member of the congregation turn the corner and start to work toward, walk toward them. And then he looked up and saw them. And to their surprise, he abruptly turned away and started walking the other way before he stopped and turned back toward them and met them in the middle of the block. And he said, you saw me hesitate and turn around. I just didn't know what to say to you. Jesus didn't turn away. When the woman told him what she had done, he didn't turn away. When the news came that the girl was dead, not to bother the teacher anymore, he didn't turn away. Jesus asked us not to turn away, not to label others untouchable, even if there is risk in touching. Mark calls us to have the faith of this woman and Jairus, to risk trusting Jesus with our deepest needs and fears. Bishop Carcagna told us a story from her ministry this week. It was early in her ministry, one of her first appointments, and as a Latina woman, she was not exactly embraced by this congregation. But there was a young man, Roy, who was a high school athlete, and he had been diagnosed 
with a large mass in his chest. She described it as being as big as a Texas ruby red grapefruit. They took him to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston for surgery, and she accompanied the family, sat in the waiting room with them for, during the surgery, was there when the surgeon came out to tell them that the operation had been successful and they could go back and see him. She, she was going to wait in the, the waiting room and let the family be with their son, but they said, no, come please be with us. So she was with him as he began to groggily wake up, and she took his hand. She touched him. She assured him and his parents who were standing there that Jesus was present with them. And to her surprise, she says, Oh, I know, he said. He's standing right there. And he pointed down to the end of his bed. And then he went on and said, He's been with me ever since they took me to the operating room. Yes, Jesus calls us to follow him. But Jesus also comes with us when life sends us on a detour, can Callahan, Jesus is with us in life, in death, and in life beyond death. Ken Callahan's daughter told me that she knew that whether her dad had lived or died, he would be okay. He was ready if it was time to go, to go be with Jesus and to see his beloved Kathy again. But he's also ready to stay and be there with them and his grandchildren. Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Philippians. Living is Christ and dying is gain. That's how we as Christians are called to live. That's, that's my prayer for my life. That in my living, Christ is glorified. And when I die, I go to be with my Savior. Now, I don't do many altar calls, as you have noticed, but I'm doing an invitation to you today at this end of the sermon to take a risk, to put your trust in Christ. Yes, most of you have made this commitment before, but if you're anything like me, I have to do it every day before I get out of bed. Will you put your trust in Jesus? Will you set aside your pride or your fear or your shame or your guilt and reach out to him? As we will sing in our closing hymn, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, to take him at his word and rest upon his promises." So that's my invitation for you to pray today. Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Yes, I put my trust in your word. Yes, I will rest upon your promises. So let us pray together now. Jesus, we do trust you. And you have proved that trust over and over again. Today, Lord, we ask for grace to trust you more, to take the risk of putting our whole trust in that grace. Amen. <clears throat>